Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Uh, another week of, like, unbelievably awful news uh, to discuss. I mm-hmm. just, um, you know, before we get into it, you know, uh, before our appreciation for folks and everything, I just, I kind of, like... Like, I I feel like I just need a moment to just, you know, uh, take in everything that's going on Um, and also how awful it is that at this particular time in human history where so many of us can talk to each other directly, like just like what a complete tragedy it is that uh, the news media and our ability to find verifiable information is falling mm. apart. Oh my I've, god. I've been thinking more and more about like what what a complete failure it is of policy that there yeah. hasn't been some sort of movement or real steps taken to make public some of the really essential parts of communication from um, internet providing uh, to, to like just search engines. You know, I feel like there was a time in our history where had a corporation come up with something as uh, incredibly important as search engines, we would have, you know, uh, made a public option for that. And we haven't. And because we haven't, so much of the way that we get our information is centered around, you know, like, how can we entertain? How can we shock? How can we, um, you know, just distort Mm. uh, in a particular way? And it is, I mean, with with everything that's going on globally with this, uh, with, with, with the genocide, it's just, it's more important now than ever, now that people can... Um, be in contact with each other directly, and that propaganda can um, can travel so effectively, and that you know we don't really know what's going on with our governments, and like decisions are being made outside the democratic process, <laughs> and and we hear about it in shock later. It's like now is the time that we that we need um, something that's verifiable, like something like a public library for the rest of the, the ways that we get information. And it's just such a tragedy and such a failure that we have, have failed to do that. We have let all of this, all of the ways that we communicate some of the most vital pieces of information as to how our world fucking works, we've left it all in the hands of very, very wealthy corporations mm-hmm. whose number one goal is not to inform us. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking about this exactly when I was uh, dealing with the oh-so-important situation of Quebec's carnival. (laughs) It's the big 70th anniversary of carnival this year, and this is the first year since I've moved here where I can't just open a newspaper and figure out what is going on because we have no newspaper anymore. The newspaper has stopped printing, and it's like it just feels like so impossible to figure out, okay, so what's happening 
can I plug in? How can I go? What does it cost? Do I need a festival pass or not? And you go to their website and it's unreadable. And, you know, the way that so many of you folks are in touch with me and they're like, Nora, I just need you to explain this to me. Folks, I just need my newspaper to explain carnival to me. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. And when we're talking about something that doesn't matter, I mean, it's one thing. But when we're talking about things that matter, it's so much worse. And, you know, folks, there's great independent groups doing what they can. I don't know if you saw this week from The Breach. Jeremy Appel has an article where he read 63 op-eds related to Israel and Gaza uh, from November 15th, no, December 15th to January 15th. And 80% of them were like totally carrying water for Israel and defending and justifying what Israel was doing. 80%, actually might even been 90%. Like it's super, super high number of them. So you should check that out from The Breach. And at the same time, like Canada's flagship media criticism podcast, did you hear what their big episode was about last week? Uh, No, I don't think I did. Well, I would try to get you to guess, but like there's no way on earth you'd be able to guess. Um, There's a big feature on uh, the tobacco industry. Oh, you know, I think I saw some tweets about that, but I did not... Wait, uh, very interesting. <laughs> yes, um, I, I did see some tweets about that. And in my head, I was like, oh, weird, <laughs> weird. Like, why, why is that a focus? And then put it out of my mind. But yeah, 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 I did see that. Mm. Huh. Yes. Well, I think that today uh, we are going to talk about things that are directly impacted by this lack of information uh, right down to like, you know, the world is inching towards uh, some sort of mass explosive event. I think that's pretty obvious. We're seeing Iran bomb Pakistan. We're seeing um, Israel bomb Lebanon and Syria. The United States bomb Syria. Of course, the folks, the Houthis, um, trying to stop shipping in the Red Sea. No one has died as a result of those uh, tactics. But of course, they are shooting at uh, merchant uh, vessels. And, um, you know, and today, three American soldiers were killed in Jordan, Jordan was bombing uh, Syria as well over drug trade stuff. Uh, things are not very stable. And that instability, Canada has a direct role. At the same time, NATO is about to do these war games. Have you seen the war games stuff? No, not at all. What's this? Oh, Sandy, what a, what a way to tell me that you've stopped listening to the daily news. Oh. Um, (laughs) so nato is doing their biggest war games in the 36 years but nato 36 years ago didn't exactly exist in this form so it's kind of their biggest war games ever Uh, they are going to have 90,000 military personnel do a a, a three-month exercise of invoking article five of the nato charter and article five is what happens when a nato member is attacked and um, all NATO members have to jump in, right? The And all of the news that I've seen reported on this, it's like, oh, you know, they're not naming Russia, but uh, they haven't named Moscow. And then the Russians are saying, like, this is this is just clear that we're back to the Cold War era um, polarization of global powers, and it's ridiculous. Canada is sending 1,000 uh, personnel and uh, sh- equipment, including the HMCS Charlottetown. And it's like, where is the news about this? Where, why is there only like three military journalists and why is the news that we're getting all coming from the military as the official line? Yeah. Oh my God. That is terrible. I do want to edit that. I have not stopped listening to the daily news, but I've certainly paused (laughs) as my available hours during the day have shrunk in my recovery time, but I will be back on and Dear listener, don't let this be uh, any sort of 
uh, direction of what what direction you should take with when it comes to the daily news, which is excellent and often as proven <laughs> just now, what you will hear on the daily news is not necessarily what you will see elsewhere. But yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's fucking terrifying. Like it, it looks like we're careening mm-hmm. towards uh, another uh, global war. And, uh, and, you know, like, as we said so many times on this podcast, uh, from an anti-war perspective, we know, we, we know that this escalation, these types of escalations, they don't lead to an end in the fighting. They don't lead to, uh, um, the saving of, of people. Uh, they don't, they don't lead to any sort of, uh, peace or justice. What they lead to is, is increased, um, uh, increased danger for people around the world, increased military operation, and uh, just a whole lot of fighting and shit um, and death for for people who uh, certainly do not deserve it. And so uh, that's where we are. That's where we are. Uh, And uh, how this ends is some sort of diplomatic uh, resolution. Other news this week. Yeah, like as is always the case. As is always the case. Other news this week uh, that we perhaps just maybe want to mention uh, before uh, we we go into um, our gratitude and our main story. Um, some stuff, some some information coming out about made in Canada, medically assisted, um, medically assistant assisted. What does the I stand for? <laughs> Medical assistance in dying. Oh, gosh. From MAID, uh, Medical Assistance in Dying in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So the Toronto Star and the Investigative Bureau of I'm Not Sure What has determined that MAID is growing at a rate in Canada that outpaces all of the other jurisdictions in the world that have some sort of MAID legislation. Uh, It's... It's it's created like it's written as this big you know investigation, uh, which was I was a bit surprised by because you know I've done a lot of research on made and I I thought everybody knew that Canada was outpacing the world, um, because we have the most permissive made policy in the world, and um, you know Belgium and Holland come close, but there's other safeguards that they have that we don't have, and then the state of California is also very permissive. Um, and so, yeah, so a uh, big surprise, I guess, if you aren't necessarily following the stuff that Canada leads the world with people choosing to end their lives. And this matters for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which the medical system is in distress and long-term care uh, is is a horrifying nightmare and no one wants to live in it. And um, MAID was expanded in 2021 to allow someone to end their life, even if their life isn't reasonably foreseeably going to end. Which means that, you know, suicide is legal in Canada if you have a grievous medical condition, though it's not legal if you don't. Of course, that creates a very bizarre and ableist policy framework that allows only some people to be able to commit suicide with the help of government and not others. Although I think that if we want to continue around this logic, that actually might someday be what happens is that just medical assistance and death will be legal. I mean, possible to to access. I don't know. Well, we'll see. And then the other reason why this really matters is because in March, um, there is a planned expansion to made for people who whose only medical condition is mental health. And that's controversial for a lot of reasons. Uh, one national suicide prevention organization says that their research has shown that there is no 
proof that suicidal thoughts as triggered by a mental illness are un, are impossible to fix or to stop or to address or to get treatment for. Uh, the problem, of course, is that access to that treatment in this country is so difficult. Um, and so a lot of people are saying, whoa, 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 like this is this is way too far. And um, it'll be interesting to see what the what the liberals do, because um they need the support of the Bloc to pass this. The Bloc probably will support it because Quebec tends to have much more support for medical assistance in dying than the rest of Canada does. Um, and the NDP has, did not support the last expansion, if I am, am, am correct. I believe I am. And, of course, the Conservatives have been against it. But, my God, what a legacy for Justin Trudeau, eh? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, right now, um, opposition members, uh, the Conservative and the NDP members on the Joint Committee Committee on Medical Assistance in Dying are calling for a pause on that expansion. So um, I think we'll probably, uh, the CBC, CBC uh, posted a news article about that on Sunday, on the Sunday that we are recording this. So I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more information on that in the week. Um, yes. And probably but while, you know, at the time that you listen to this, there will be more information. So listen out for that. Mm-hmm. Nora, do we have some people to thank? We got a few people to thank. Yes, um, this week. Thank you so much to everybody that shared the podcast or got us another listener or had a conversation about an episode with someone. All that stuff is amazing. And thanks especially to folks who donated uh, or changed their donations. So this week specifically, thanks to Mary, Kirsten, and Rosie's Fables. Thanks so much. Thank you so, 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 so much. So, Nora... um, like two massive uh, developments this week uh, with what has been the topic of our podcast uh, since October 7th. <laughs> um, uh, one, one being that the International Court of Justice has issued a ruling on uh, South Africa's case. And the second being that uh, 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 Countries around the world seemingly in, in concert with this ruling, um, uh, major coincidence, uh, have decided to pull funding uh, from UN Relief and Works Agency, uh, which provides a crucial uh, and necessary uh, support, aid, um, healthcare resources to Palestinian refugees and to people within Gaza. Yeah. And so this is an agency that has been operating as long as there has been a refugee crisis in Palestine. So since 1948 or a couple of years after 1948. And through the UNRWA, everything is coordinated. Education, health care, other social services, vaccines, you know, blood donation, like everything, everything that, that you could imagine a social, a, a social society, civil society needs is coordinated by this agency. And, you know, Israel has long despised the organization. And curiously, right after the ICJ makes its ruling, and it's a ruling that is not a positive ruling for Israel. Israel does two things. One, they spin it. And with the help of, of course, uh, you know, news organizations like the National Post saying like, well, there's no word of a ceasefire in this. So it's a failure for people calling for a ceasefire, which I think we'll unpack. Uh, And then we get this news that there's some sort of proof that Israel has that um, workers with the UNRWA were involved with planning the attack on October 7th. 
Now, this comes out, uh, it's official line from Israel. I think, you know, um, at this point, we have to basically not believe anything Israel is saying unless it can be absolutely verified by independent, whether it's journalists or other kinds of observers. But this comes out. And what does Canada do in reaction to it? They say, yeah, okay, we're going to pull our funding right away. And so within 24 hours of the of the international criminal justice decision on the fact that Israel needs to stop <laughs> what it's doing, that it is very possible that Israel is on the path towards genocide, Canada reacts not by stopping arms exportation to Israel, which they could do and need to do, but instead by pulling money from the only agency that has been doing the service provision for Palestinians for decades and is one of the very few on the ground currently that is helping, I mean, not, they can't really mitigate because the humanitarian crisis is way too big, but they are one of the few organizations on the ground actually trying to help people through this humanitarian crisis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty stunning. It's like, Oh, my goodness. So, you know, part of what the ICJ is saying is, is that, like, um, you know, they, they, the ICJ takes years typically to um, establish that, the, that a genocide is ongoing. So th- there is never going to be um, a, a, a determination that a genocide is currently ongoing. And, uh, and South Africa wasn't asking for that. It was asking for uh, measures to be taken to halt a, a genocide in the event that one could be happening or was going to be happening with um, you know, with the idea that it, during in the timeline that the ICJ typically does its determination, it would it would do that, and it would make that determination. And so, part of what the ICJ is saying is that yes, it, there could be um, the intent here uh, that is required to like prove genocide. Israel could have the intent to wanting to destroy this group, and so like read under under that framework, like how can you take what Israel is saying, allegations that Israel is making, and then make such a massive uh, decision that could harm and and cause um, uh, contribute to um, the the starvation, the lack of access to resources, to healthcare, to to all sorts of um, necessities of life. How could you take action, Canada, um, and other countries around the world? that would take all of that away. And like to the tune of over $700 million, uh, countries around the world, the United States, Canada, Britain, Australia, Italy, Germany, Finland, Netherlands, Iceland, Switzerland, although I have something to say about that in a second, France, Estonia, and Japan, all of these countries pulling um, this staggering amount of aid from the agency, uh, which, you know, the agency itself has said, you know, this could lead to our collapse, which means that not, you know, it's already been 25,000 plus Palestinians who have been killed. Uh, Like, what happens after that? You know, the, the folks have been saying um, that the, the, the famine is like a famine is is going to occur in Gaza, that the likelihood of the spread of disease, I mean, it's just so staggering that Canada, 
I, I'm just like the level of disbelief. It just keeps shifting for me. And I, I, I'm stunned that, uh, given what Canada knows about this situation, which is, I assume what everybody else knows, which is like nothing because Israel has made these allegations. I think you said before we started recording that you, you had found uh, some reference to what the allegations actually are in a report. I, I couldn't find any, and I was searching for them, um, like what the allegations actually are. The, the UNRWA has, has, um, uh, has committed to uh, under, doing an investigation to, to figure out what this is uh, and has, has fired nine people uh, connected to these allegations in an attempt to, you know, try to tell these other countries, look, we're taking this seriously. This is an allegation. We're taking it seriously, but we need uh, to continue functioning. And yet these countries have still taken the action that they have taken. I, like it is unbelievable, mm-hmm. unbelievable that Canada has done this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's 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 wild. And actually, what what is happening is there's a narrative shift from Hamas are the terrorists, and we are going after Hamas, which is not a ten, is never been a tenable line, and it's certainly not a tenable line now that you know the death toll is above twenty six thousand people. Israel is considering every single male older than sixteen to be a terrorist. People can see through that. That's ridiculous propaganda, obviously. But now, as the Hamas are the terrorists, and that's all this is about, is is not enough because violence is continuing in the West Bank where there is no Hamas. What's the shift in the narrative? It's that the UNRWA are terrorists, is a terrorist organization itself. This United Nations body is a terrorist organization. And that is being advanced by Pierre Polyever, who's a fuck, right? He's a fuck and a twat and a piece of shit. And the idea that on the backs of, of, of what is officially on the path towards a potential genocide, for him to come out and spin it in that way is very, very scary because we know that the liberals and conservatives march together and the liberals will be kinder in how they talk about this. And they're not going to say that this is an agency that is a terrorist organization. They're just going to pause additional funding, which is what the announcement is, right? Minister Ahmed Hussein said that was the decision um, after the court case was decided. I mean, this is just so transparent. Like I, I, I can see the PR industry at work in all of this, like in all of these kinds of announcements or these volleys. But for someone who's likely going to be the Prime Minister of Canada coming out to say that this is a terrorist organization, I mean, that's really, really, really dangerous. Because the far right uh, UN are a global conspiracy, whack fucking job bullshit hasn't exactly been like carried forth by the leadership of the conservatives. The conservatives have tangled with it. They rely on those those fucking freaks as to to be the the, the far right flank of their party and to bring in people in the party that way. But they haven't engaged so directly in like the absolute garbage conspiracy theory bullshit. And so here we now have them claiming that a UN agency are terrorists. That's a new level. That's a that's a fucking new level in the air war in this. Oh, my. It's like so bizarre. Like in in any other situation, like imagine, imagine any other situation where um, there had been allegations leveled against anyone to having done any sort of uh, criminal um, uh, been a part of any sort of uh, criminal fucking uh, activity. Like, just 
imagine like to to level like even if it was true like in a case where that was true to level that against their employer to have the employer of those people take the blame like like where what exactly are we looking at here like where where is the allegation that says the UNRWA despite all of this aid that it is providing is doing something different. No one said that that's what's happened. They're saying that there have been, uh, from what I can tell from these articles, 12 staff, nine who, nine individuals, one person who's dead, and two people who have yet to be confirmed their identities. Uh, there, there's allegations against them that the UN took, the UNRWA uh, took swift action on and yet still somehow all of these countries around the world who would like never do this uh, to any sort of agency within their midst <laughs> is saying well well fuck uh, their employer like it's just very like how convenient um for israel if they do indeed have the specific intent to carry out a genocide Right. And the piece that I was about to say about Switzerland, this is one of the, the things that I'm kind of referencing earlier about, like trying to find information. When I was first reading the news on this, um, I was like, whoa, Switzerland, way to go, because it, it seemed to be the only one of the only countries who was, uh, you know, um, allied with Canada, the U.S. and so on. But that was saying. Um, we're going to hold off before pulling any funding. Now, some other countries, Ireland and Norway, are, are refusing to pull aid, um, uh, stating that, like, uh, an awful thing to do in this circumstance and that the danger to, to Palestinians um, is it's far too high to do something like that. But Switzerland, in the initial reports, it was saying uh, that they were saying that uh, Switzerland was refusing to make such a uh, such a to take action to to pull um, their aid from UNRWA until uh, such time that the investigation was complete. And then now there are also articles that say that Switzerland has pulled their aid. And I can't I can't seem to make heads or tails tales of what is correct. And so. Uh, potentially uh, uh, Switzerland is, is taking a different tack, potentially not. I don't know. Hopefully uh, in the week to come, we'll be able to figure that out. Yes, yes. Well, in all of this, I'm wondering, hmm, is now the time the NDP actually steps up and does something useful? Or is this also going to be another one of those moments where they're just like, what agreement with the liberals? We're not we're not propping them up. <laughs> <laughs> well, but this is the thing. They are propping them up, obviously, as we know. We've talked so many times on this podcast about like what a, a bad political decision that was. But in this in this circumstance right now, this is like I just I don't understand how one could justify supporting the liberal government. This is now like the, the decision to pull that level of aid from UNRWA is a decision to support the genocide, like with in, in a way that we can. That is what it is. That is what Canada's decision is. And if you're if 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 I'm in the government, if I have a seat in the government at that time, hell no, hell no. How can you? How can you justify a continued agreement to prop up that government? in a minority government situation. How? 
and live with yourself? How? Yeah, well, I mean, that hit me today as I saw so many NDPers talking about the legacy of Ed Broadbent, and he was so amazing, and he stood up to power and all this shit, and it's like, can you guys, like, do that? <laughs> I mean, I know you can't, so of course you can't, but how, how, do you, how do you justify existing under those circumstances? Because the liberals would never agree to go to an election over this. They never would agree to go to an election over increasing or not increasing funding to the UNRWA. And we know that the vast majority of Canadians are very concerned about what's happening in Gaza and would not support the Liberals if the NDP was like, our our sucking and blowing agreement is on the line if you don't reverse this decision related to the UNRWA. There's no way in hell that Justin Trudeau is like, you know what, NDP, this matters so much to us. We're going to election tomorrow because the liberals are not election ready. I mean, the NDP is fucking in another planet than the election ready planet. But the liberals are pretty lost in the desert right now, too, trying to figure out what the hell to do. Trudeau can't run again. I mean, if they were forced into an election right now, I don't see it working out for them. And that's the only leverage that the NDP has. And it's not it's not even like it's like minor leverage. It's like maximum fucking leverage. It is the leverage. You have all of the leverage to make the liberals do something. And the nice thing about the 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 cynical and gross way that Israel has tried to spin these two issues together is that the NDP very easily could say you're reversing this decision with the UNRWA and to respect the decision from the ICJ, we are going to ban all arms sales to Israel. Like it's, it's the easiest political calculation. It's the easiest possible fucking thing that they can do right now. And it would put the conservatives in a bit of a difficult spot because some of the conservative uh, MPs do rely on votes for people that will be disgusted by all of this. The bloc will be totally on board and the liberals will never go to an election over this. They'll be like, okay, you know what? Fuck, we'll fucking play, play ball with you. We'll negotiate something. But I mean, it's like talking, it's like we're talking fiction because we know that the NDP would never do that. Yeah, I I encourage folks to also check out, um, in addition to that article from The Breach that you mentioned, to check out uh, an article uh, that was published by The Maple on January 25th that is uh, entitled Trudeau Government Accused of Sowing Confusion Over Israel Military Exports, where they're trying to make heads or tails of the military exports that are going to Israel. Uh, And the way that the Trudeau government is like, not being forthcoming about the arms that are being uh, um, sent over to Israel, the support, the military support that Canada is offering and uh, providing to Israel. Um, They're being very specific in the type of language. They're being very obfuscatory in the type of language that they are using and um, uh, being really specific about having not signed any new agreements or, and um, and using language such as that, but not being clear about the existing agreements and the existing type of weaponry that is being sent over. And so like in, in a case where that is happening and like, uh, you, you know, like the, if, if there is uh, um, uh, a genocide ongoing, there are responsibilities that Canada would have to 
to not send those types of uh, um, that type of military aid over to Israel in in a case where all of this is happening, all that context is happening. An opposition party like the NDP that I, you know, that where many people who are uh, MPs would call themselves anti-war um, MPs, like you, you folks, you have an obligation right now. You, you have an obligation. Like the, your response on this, and the NDP has said that they disagree with the decision to pull um, the aid from UNWRA. And if that's the case, it, it behooves you to do more than just say that you disagree with it because you are entrusted and empowered with powers of government uh, to actually take some action. And okay, like, you know, it wasn't that the, that the, the liberals didn't make good on their promises over, um, over pharmacare or, or childcare or whatever else it was, like that wasn't enough uh, for you to, to, to stop um, your support, but how could this not be enough? How could this possibly not be enough for you to pull your support? Well, it's because there is, they, they actually just, they're a lie. <laughs> like they're, the entire project is so rotten that there is no limit, that they are 100% invested in getting their own pensions, in having a seat at the table for absolutely no fucking purpose. I mean, like the dental care stuff on its own is a lie. And we all know that, that if you're actually going to be like be there to create a new universal program, you would create a universal program and not a program that you have to fucking opt into. And that has all these restrictions and that is confusing and that blah, blah, blah. And so like the NDP is a lie. They are they've completely betrayed anything of the history that they ever can claim to. And they're a joke. And like, and this is not nothing new. My like, God, this has been like 10 years of, of a party. That's an absolute fucking joke. But before that, they were less of a joke. <laughs> and there is like people still around the party from long ago who I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they do. I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to see how the Broadbent Summit, this annual social democratic love fest in Ottawa, will come together at the beginning of April. I'm kind of excited to see how they deal with these issues <laughs> because it's so rotten and it is such a joke that it's like, wh wh why, why be a clown party? What, like you could choose to not be clowns or you could choose to be better clowns, but being like bad clowns, what, the, what, the, what the fuck is that? Whose, whose fucking idea is that? You know, I just, I, I actually don't think that this decision can stand. Like I, I, I don't think that it can. Like I, the amount of organizing and action that people took in the fall that forced the government to, to. Um, state their support for a ceasefire. I believe that that level of organizing is could could shift uh, Canada's decision in this in this um, in this uh, removal of aid from UN uh, RWA. And like I think that it is you know <laughs> the the government is probably one freaking out right now. It is the weekend as we're recording this and very thankful that the decision from the ICJ came on a Friday and that all of this um, political action around the world came on a Friday. But, you know, we're heading into a new week. And I just like, I just, I, I cannot believe that um, this sort of thing will stand. The question is, how long will it stand for? Yes. You know? Yeah. 100%. Um, and I, like, let's also be clear, this isn't just a new week. 
Parliament resumes tomorrow. And Parliament resumes since the federal liberals unilaterally decided to join forces with all of these countries patrolling the Red Sea, which then became a coalition to bomb Yemen. You know, Bill Blair made that announcement on December 15th, two days after the House recessed for the winter break. And tomorrow, well, yesterday, yesterday on Monday, they finally came back uh, to sit. Now, what doesn't really help is that we've got two major parties that are absolutely in lockstep with one another. And so it does mean that this pressure that the opposition parties have to put on uh, is really, really critical. And I do agree with you. I don't think that this probably will stand, but it will take popular pressure and it will take people doing things and taking risks and, and calling government out. I mean, if you're involved in any federal anything, a committee, if you're an employee, if you're fucking like anything at all, you should be making your work contingent on making sure that you have a, a, an expressed opinion on what you think of this so that that like the discontent actually echoes through these systems like our bureaucracies are broken but they still exist like you still can do things and say things um even if you're a lowly like whatever person with almost no power like we still have a responsibility to to push now what i think is so interesting is you know we've talked this almost the whole episode on this distraction on the UNRWA distraction that is so clearly set up by Israel to make sure that we're not talking about the ICJ decision. And I want to go back to the decision because I think it's so important to be very clear about, again, how pathetic Canada has been with this whole court case. So you'll remember on January 12th that the federal government put out a statement. The statement sucked. Uh, it, it's it, it was like, they reject the premise on which South Africa is bringing Israel before the court, but that they will... Pres- I can read it. I have it up. <laughs> okay, why don't you, you go ahead? Yeah. Read it? yeah, okay. So the statement says, the portion of the statement that Nora is uh, referring to, it says, Canada's unwavering support for international law and the ICJ does not mean we accept the premise of the case brought by South Africa. We will follow the proceedings of South Africa's case at the International Court of Justice very closely. This is January 12th. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was also at the same time that we were part of this coalition that started bombing Yemen. And so in deeds, uh, our our stated neutrality, because that was the goal of this statement, was supposed to be neutral. And thanks so much to CBC's Evan Dyer doing free publicity for the liberals to make sure that the correction was out there, that that was a neutral statement, even though when you read the statement, it's not at all neutral. That was a neutral statement. You know, what happens then uh, two weeks later, we get the decision. Uh, Do you happen to have the statement from uh, Madame Melanie Jolie on what Canada's reaction to the decision was? I do. Would you like me to read that? Yeah, because, you know, they said that they were following it closely and that they'll respect it. So I'm super excited to hear how we will be doing that and what they learned through their close following of it all. So it says... Canada supports the ICJ's critical role in the peaceful settlement of disputes and its work in upholding the international rules-based order. Our support for the ICJ does not mean that we accept the premise of the case brought by South Africa. It is for the ICJ to make a final decision on the case, which which it has not done today. We continue to follow the case very closely. So wait a minute. That was the first statement or the second statement? Um, It's hard to tell, right? That was the second statement (laughs) that came out on January 26th. Wasn't that the exact same thing? 
Did you just say the same thing twice? It is very close to the exact same thing. Yeah. That's remarkable. And, you know, it is, it takes a level of hubris that is pretty impressive for you to put the same statement out before and after a court case, like as if the decision didn't have an impact on your position whatsoever. A statement that says that you are tenaciously tied to the legitimacy of the international court, right? Which is like very clearly that you're fucking not. Now, I want to read something from Rosemary McCarney, who's a former ambassador to the United Nations. I don't know, Sandy, if you saw this on Twitter. It's like, this is a reaction to that statement, okay? So McCarney says, this is not a serious statement of a country in words and historical deeds committed to supporting the international judicial institutions we helped establish. We need to hear clearly, Canada supports the provisional measures and insists on their compliance by the state of Israel. That would have been a better statement. (laughs) That would have been a better statement. Look, it's like, it's not like it's an equivocal decision that's been made. Like there are, uh, there are 17 judges. Yeah, 17 judges, 16 of which have decided, uh, yep, definitely looks like this could amount to genocide and that including the specific intent required for genocide like that Israel is intending to uh, kill uh, Palestinians en masse and and are saying that then provisional measures need to be put in place. It's like a very unequivocal decision by the ICJ. So like I'm not like... What's going on with Melanie Jolie? What's happening with the Canadian government? Like, there's nothing confusing here. There's nothing that they need to wait for. Like, of course, there's going to be more decisions that are going to be rendered on this case. We know that. Thanks very much. But what this looks like is like trying to take advantage of maybe a population that perhaps they are assuming doesn't understand what's happening. And um, that is uh, both ridiculous and, yeah, uh, it's a ridiculous level of hubris. Like, oh, my gosh, you couldn't have even um, assigned somebody to update the statement? For Christ's sake, Canada, this is, like, not a game. This is not a game. Like, your, your support uh, for Israel, for these actions that are being taken globally— are lending support for the continued destruction, massacre of people. Like I, I, like, is it not the case that people are standing around, like not talking about that piece of it? Like, I just like, what do they think this is? Like, I'm just very confused at how the people who are, um, who are running Canada right now, who are making these decisions are like how they're able to look each other, one another in the eye and uh, comfortably sleep at night. Yeah, well, I mean, this is where you got to get the car horns outside their front door to make sure that they can't sleep at night because these people don't actually care. I mean, Melanie Jolie, Justin Trudeau, they don't they don't care about human lives. They don't care about the humanitarian crisis. They don't they don't care. Their job is to not care. They're in those positions because they absolutely do not care. Like (laughs) we have to make sure that we're fighting against this idea that politicians um, are ever doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, there, there I think there probably was a time in Canada where you could say that people were in politics for the right reasons or like whatever that means. But in this situation, like it is a game to these people that they're doing their absolute fucking best to give Israel the cover to continue to destroy Gaza. I've seen news come out of Israel saying that um, that they are prepared to set up a military government over Gaza. 
And that seems pretty clear, like the next steps for Israel is to take full control of Gaza. I mean, you know, it's they've already occupied it, but that would mean clearing out any of the elected semblance of local democracy. I mean, democracy is a difficult word because, of course, you know, people really haven't been elected in Gaza for a while. But, you know, run Gaza as a as a military dictatorship and, um, you know, b- bomb, do, do fucking controlled bombings of civilian infrastructure just so you have more space between communities on the Israeli side of the wall versus the Palestinian communities on the other side of the wall. You know, that controlled demolition that we all saw last week that killed 32 or so IDF soldiers. God, imagine being the family of those folks. It's like, well, you got fucked. <laughs> your country doesn't care about your fucking people at all. Um, you know, this 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 just continues and continues and continues to get worse. And we get to see it fucking close up, which makes it become more urgent in, in, in a way. But then it also, like what people are hoping, people in power are hoping is that we'll tune out or that it's too confusing or that the media doesn't explain this well enough uh, or doesn't explain it at all. So we don't really understand what's happening and we can't sustain the protests and the actions to, to or we're too afraid to do it because they keep criminalizing them or arresting people before in pre-day, pre-dawn raids or saying that all of a sudden this fucking overpass is too precious to be protested. It, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't want to say it's too much because it's going to get worse and it will continue to be too much. And so I'll stick with it's a lot. But I want to just mention that, Sandy, I don't know if you've seen, but Global Affairs Canada is announcing that a Canadian-Palestinian, Mansour Shuman, is in Gaza and has not been heard from for a week. People around him have said that he's been captured by the IDF. The CBC tried to get a confirmation of that from the IDF. They did not respond. Here we have a Canadian now, you know, very much uh, potentially dead or disappeared at the very least from like by Israel. And Canada is still going to just play these ridiculous games and being like, oh, here's a bunch of gobbledygook as a as a fucking reply to an international legal body that, you know, actually symbolizes everything about the Western order. And if Canada wants to sow its own demise um, by hopping along with the United States and the United Kingdom to destroy all of these Western constructs that were built in the post-World War period to try and bring some sort of global stability in the aftermath of fucking fascism and the threat of communism, it's like you're digging your own graves. You're digging your own graves by allowing them to dig more graves over there. And where the fuck do you think this is going to end? As like one final note uh, to people who are in the opposition parties and even in the ruling party, like if you if you're like sitting around concerned about this, like like just what ask yourselves what you are actually afraid of in terms of either organizing your colleagues or publicly taking another position than the ruling party. Like what exactly are you afraid of happening? You know, you all know, based on what happened in the fall, that Canadians will support you. They will support you if you take a different position than the government. You know that. You know that it is likely that this decision will not stand. Like, look how long it took for Justin Trudeau to make the decision to make the decision that he could uh, publicly support a ceasefire position. What if you folks had just said that from the beginning? If you had just said that from the beginning, it may not have taken that long. There could have been additional pressures that have been put on an international community to shift how they are 
relating to Israel and what sort of conversations they are having with Israel. You don't have to wait that long. You know, based on the fall, what's going to happen. So ask yourselves, what exactly are you afraid of? And what do you want to be remembered for when the dust settles? And you know how the dust will settle on this. If you read, if you are even a casual reader of history, you know what's going to happen. So make the right decision. It is not hard. I don't. I don't know if they are casual readers of history. Do you remember the whole Nazi guy in the parliament? <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah, there's that. 